Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there and welcome to Scout the Game Week. Scout the Game Week is a fantasy football scout weekly podcast brought to you by the Scout Network. In each episode, we'll look back at the game week we have just played to assess what we can learn and to help us in the next round of fixtures. I'm Sam from the FPL family. Let's Scout the Game Week. This week, I'm joined by David from FPL in the dugout. David, it is great to have you back on. How did Game Week 2 go for you? Hey, Sam. Yes, good to be back on. Game Week 2 was good. Obviously, some blanks that everyone's going to be frustrated with. Um, but 65 points for game week two um, off the bat of 101 from game week one. Um, yeah, so, so far, so good. You don't look at red arrows yet because we're far too early to care about arrows. But I'm happy. We're, move, we're moving. It's good. It's good. And I think the thing is, when big players blank, it doesn't feel quite as bad, does it? Like, I think when your differential is blank, that's when you kind of go, oh, and it feels more difficult to handle. But Everyone seems to own Salah. Everyone seems to own Bruno. So when those guys blank, you're kind of like, well, the impact actually on my rank isn't so bad. And and I totally agree with what you just said, actually. I don't even look at my rank until at least game week four, because in a heartbeat, you can go up a million places with one good game week at the moment. So until we kind of settle in, it feels a bit wrong somehow to be worrying about your rank. I'm kind of more worrying about making sure that the right guys are in my team ahead of the next few weeks because obviously now two game weeks under our belt we are in a far better place to judge I guess who are the players that we want to own and who are the ones that we can afford to lose from our teams yeah see who started strong see who new managers are starting in their starting 11s and um, yeah just just focus on trying to get those points on the board nice and early yeah for sure all right well let's start as we always do then with a look back on game week two the game we've just played Lots of chatter across the community last week about captaincy. That was kind of the big talking point because most people weren't making transfers ahead of game week two. There was a lot of rolling of transfers going on. So the big discussion Mm -hmm. point really was, do we captain Bruno or do we captain Salah? Both of them had nice fixtures. Salah obviously had the home game, but he didn't have a very good record against Burnley and has never scored a goal in game week two. Bruno Fernandes had... 
on paper, a really nice fixture away at Southampton. He had the benefit of having a good record against Southampton, but of course it was Southampton's first home game of the season. And we saw in game week one how home games can be really positive at the moment with the return of fans in stands. So both of them look like great options and both of them failed to do anything. So yep. actually <laughs> the correct answer for who to captain last week was Antonio. Was um, Antonio. So let's start with him because his performance on Monday evening, for me, he was the one player at the beginning of the season who I umdenard over. And right up until the deadline for game week one, I was like, Antonio, Danny Ings, Antonio, Danny Ings. And he went backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards because I could only afford one of them. Mm-hmm. And in the end, I went with Antonio on the basis that, you know, Aston Villa had got a lot of new players and how quickly were they all going to settle into the league together as a unit? Yeah. Whereas obviously Antonio and West Ham had a really nice set of fixtures up until their Europa League commitment start when things do change a little bit. But I've been so impressed, so impressed Absolutely. with them. Have you got Antonio in your team? I have. And similar to you, I had a um, conundrum who to start because I was going between Antonio and, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Mm. Uh, and with the injury concern at the beginning of the season led me towards Antonio, especially with those fixtures. Um, if I did go for DCL, the other option would have then been Ben Rama in midfield, who's also had a fantastic start to the season. But Antonio looks unplayable at the moment. Absolutely mm. unplayable. I mean, the way he spearheads that, that West Ham attack is, is phenomenal. Now the all-time top goal scorer for for West Ham in the Premier League. And yeah, I think he's an absolute unit, a beast. He's got every characteristic you need to get FPL points. And and what an amazing start. Three goals, three assists. Superb. What I really like is that it's the whole West Ham team as as a unit that are gelled together so well at the moment. David Moyes and the impact that he's had on that team. I've got to be honest, at the beginning of last season, they had that really poor start. Um, then Moyes got COVID and there was a lot of disruption in the camp. But since that moment, I've been so impressed by everything that he's done at West Ham. And I was slightly concerned going into this season. Obviously, Lingard's arrival at the end of last year on loan had such an impact. And it made West Ham this great team where suddenly they just looked like they were going to score with yeah. every attack. Absolutely. So I was a little bit concerned going into this season that obviously they'd lost that person in their team but you've already mentioned Ben Rama and he has massively massively stood up and made that spot his own and to the point where they don't even miss Jesse Lingard they don't miss the goals that he was creating have you got an entry plan for Ben Rama is he somebody that's on your radar now he's definitely on my radar for me my plan at the start of the season is to try and scope as many teams out as possible so not Mm. put all my eggs in one basket and me, the Antonio and Ben Rama double up at the start of the season was a risk. It's yeah. paid off for those who have done it and, and fair play to them. Um, I think if Antonio does leave the team, there's got to be a scope to actually get Ben Rama in because, as you say, he's filled the gap that Jesse Lingard's created. And, mm-hmm. and as I say, that whole midfield three um, just drives them forward. I, th- I think it's definitely one to, to look at getting into your team, especially if you don't have Antonio. I haven't got the funds for Antonio. Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously there was a lot of worry in the community about uh, international break and the impact the international break might have, whether players would have to quarantine on returning mm-hmm. from international break. And we tonight had the announcement from the Premier League that they've decided that no player will be released for international duty to 
a red list country game. So from that perspective, I think it takes the pressure off us as FPL managers because we can be a bit more flexible without having to worry about you know, what's going to happen if Salah yeah. has to quarantine and we suddenly got all of these other changes. It means we can make moves for players that are just in good form and that have really nice fixtures. And of course, West Ham have got Palace up next. After watching their performance on Monday evening, I went all in and just bought Ben Rama because I was so impressed by what West Ham are doing and what they're creating. Have Antonio, so I now have the double up. Got the um, double up. I'm I'm all about West Ham at the moment, which is something as a Spurs fan, I, I never thought I'd say. <laughs> but from an FPL perspective, you have to go with the informed players. And got to. the fixtures still look great for West Ham moving forward. So yeah, I, I think exactly. I think they look really good. Yeah, but it, those purple patch players when they've got good fixtures as well, as say Palace coming up. I can see both from definitely having some uh, opportunities this weekend too. Yeah. All right. Well, let's head from the London Stadium down to the South Coast into Southampton, because that was a big game in terms of the community and, and where we were expecting there to potentially be some FPL points. What did you make of the Manchester United performance in this game? Because I was a little bit surprised by the difference between Manchester United in game week one and United in game week two. It, it was like two sides of a coin. It, it was really, really bizarre seeing the game. Um Lots of differences. And from an FPL point of view, it's, it's just so frustrating because you've got so many exciting assets like Bruno, um, Sancho, who's yet to start. Obviously, Luke Shaw yet to have clean sheets. And from an FPL point of view, it is very concerning seeing Manchester United play like that, especially on when you look on paper, it's a game they should not be comfortable with, but definitely have the opportunities to, to create and, and, and score a lot more than they did. So, yeah, mm. not, not, the, not the strongest Manchester United performance by a long way. Last week I had the FPL Experiment boys on and we spent a long time talking about Bruno Fernandes and whether he should be a priority buy for managers. If you started the season without him, did you absolutely have to go and buy him? And we kind of came to the conclusion that, yes, you probably did because he'd started the season with a hat trick and everything was looking rosy in Bruno Fernandes land. Do we still think that that's the case? Do we still think he should be a priority by four managers on the back of what we saw in game week two? I don't think he's a priority, but when you just look at Bruno Fernandes as an individual and what he's achieved at Manchester United in such a short amount of time, his his points from a fantasy point of view are phenomenal. Mm. Um, Manchester United are going to have off weeks like most other teams in the Premier League. Um, and I think he will still be that focal point in a Manchester United attack. So um, for me personally, I, th- I think Bruno Fernandes, if you're going to go with a Manchester United player, is a, is a must-own. Mm. Um, he's a little bit more expensive than, than Sancho, but he's getting the minutes and, and he's got a hat-trick in the first game week. So I can see that just being a blip in, in Manchester United season and and possibly a, a potential for, for more points in game week three and onwards. More about Luke Shaw then, because as a Luke Shaw owner, I have been frustrated I think is the best word here in game yeah, one do. of course lost the points because of a worldy goal from Ailing, which I was kind of like all right all right I'll put that to the back of my mind because on another day that goal doesn't go in it's a clean sheet and all is well with the Luke Shaw world this week I watched the game and was like oh, I'm frustrated again because the clean mm-hmm. sheet's gone and there's been no attacking returns, which is kind of why you pay 5.5 million for a defender because the clean sheet yeah, potential is there and the potential upside is there. But then he gets a couple of bonus points and suddenly it kind of takes the, I don't know, it just takes the pain away, I guess, doesn't it? it does. When they've it got, does. yeah, when they've got that little bit of added potential there. So what are you doing with Luke Shaw? Do you think we just hold him? Do we free up some money? There are so many options right now in the 4.5. Uh, four million pound defender bracket yeah I am seriously toying with the idea of going for 
a whole set of really cheap options at the back, apart from one key big hitter. Yeah. Where do you stand with the Luke Shaw thing? Do you think you just, if you've bought in for this run of fixtures, you have to keep him now until the end of it? I think the excitement of FPL being back is is incredible. And so everyone's like, right, let's get points. It's, it's not working yet. And, and for me, patience is a massive one. Yeah. Um, we know how great Luke Shaw can be down the left. He will deliver those, those clean sheet returns and those attacking returns. So for me, I am a Luke Shaw owner. I am getting frustrated because, as you say, 5.5 million, you want at least a clean, a clean sheet or an attacking return. And you're not getting any at the moment. So mm. you can drop down to some really good options in the four and the 4.5 million especially when you're looking at other assets that are, uh, are new to the game that you might be wanting to think about bringing in. But I am going to stay patient with Luke Shaw, at least for another two or three game weeks for the moment. Mm. We'll talk about those new players to the game in a moment, because obviously, for those of you that don't know, David is a massive Chelsea fan. So we'll, we'll get to the big man um, in a bit. But let's just talk oh, about other players well. that were disappointing, first of all, because obviously we had some disappointments from our Manchester United assets in game week two. If... Well, that's unfair to the likes of Greenwood and Pogba, but for Luke Shaw and Bruno owners, some disappointing results. But obviously Salah also blanked. And I kind of think this one surprised me more because the Anfield crowd were phenomenal in that game. Um, Obviously, it was the lunchtime kickoff on Saturday. Yotta continued to impress in that game. Salah did pick up the clean sheet point. So, of course, there was a little bit of potential upside there, but... Again, I find myself drawn back into the conversation that is Salah or Yotta and which one do you go with? And I, historically, because of how good Salah's been over the last few seasons, automatically plump for Salah. I guess mm-hmm. it's that kind of comfort that going with the most expensive player in the game brings you because you own this one yeah. and therefore, you know, you feel a bit better about life. But actually it's Yotta <laughs> that's really impressed in both game week one and game week two. And I'm kind of interested to get your thoughts on this. Do we think that there is scope now to just go with Yotta over Salah or do we still worry about Yotta's rotation? Because potentially, if any time he's going to be rested, I would suspect it might be against a side like Chelsea in game week three mm-hmm. because Bobby Firmino is so good at holding the ball and moving the ball around. I could potentially yeah. see Yotta getting sacrificed. Whereas, of course, you never have this risk, really, if you own Salah. With Mo Salah, and yeah, the, for me, there's there's two risks with with losing Salah and going for Yotta because with 55% ownership at the moment, if you're one of those 45% of the people that haven't got him, and he does haul, you're gonna just lose a lot of mm. ground in in the rankings. Um, for me, at the moment, I actually have both, so I do have Salah and Yotta in my team. Um, I think what how Yotta started this season, and especially last season, his debut season has been superb. Especially a midfielder playing up front, it's always a, an added bonus. Um, impressed in both of those games but as mm. you rightly say he is a rotation risk and 7.5 million to to be on your bench one week is is a lot of money although I am toying with the fact of benching this weekend against Chelsea um, for me Salah is definitely the one to have just on previous form he mm. is Liverpool's main man I mean he had a goal line clearance um, in the late later stages of the game against Burnley I can see Salah still performing I wouldn't shift completely over to Jota um, I think there's scope for both if you can plan for it, especially if, as you say, if there are still concerns with Bobby Firmino's fitness. But I think I think Salah and Bruno, if you can get them both in your team, um, for me they're the must owns because you've got you've got leeway to take, as I say, the, the four and the four point five million defenders to to get other people around it. Well, that's a perfect segue into my next question, really, because the Liverpool defence was a major factor in game week two. Obviously, Trent and Simakas 
both with the clean sheets, both with assists, both excellent. Simakas, probably that might be the last time we can realistically play him yeah. as FPL yeah. managers because obviously Robertson was back on the bench in game week two. And I very much expect him to be part of the starting lineup for game week three against Chelsea. I can't believe yeah, that Klopp wouldn't play Robertson against Chelsea. No. But it was a lovely feeling, actually. Having the defensive double up when it goes well is one of the best feelings in FPL for me. And owning Trent and Simakas together, their combined ownership was like 12%. So it was a mm-hmm. massive rank boost. And to end game week, well, the first game of the game week with like 20 odd points from those two and Salah mm-hmm. was a very nice feeling. But of it course, now, yeah, now I'm kind of sitting there thinking, well, what do we do with Simakas? He's got 17 points in the opening two game weeks. He's had a couple of price rises, so he's now 4.2 million. Mm -hmm. So now feels like actually it could be a good time to sell him because I'm going to get the point one that he's earned me back out of him, which feels nice. And of course, in doing that, that's going to free up the third Liverpool spot, which feels really valuable right now. And having started Mm -hmm. the season with the defensive double up and Salah, it's worked. It's worked well for the first two Mm -hmm. game weeks. But now I'm kind of in a quandary because the defensive double up has worked. So going to another Liverpool defender makes a lot of sense to me. But budgeting mm. for one of the other Liverpool defenders is very, very difficult. I could go Matip and just accept that there's not going to be very many attacking returns from him, but you'll get the clean sheet points because likely mm. to play alongside Virgil. Or you take the defender out of the equation and go with the attacking double up. But then I really like the look of a number of players in that 7.5-ish midfielder bracket. Yotta is, of course, one of them, but there's yeah. Greenwood at United. There's Mason Mount at Chelsea, who I still think the boy is incredibly underappreciated Absolutely. in terms of FPL. Absolutely. There are a few. There's and, and I look at Spurs and I think, you know, Deli Alley's on form at the moment. I could say point, I could save a whole million by going to Deli Alley. So there's a lot of players out there that I think are, are worth it. But do we treble up on Liverpool? And if we do, without Simicast now, what route do you think is the best one to take? I think if you're going to go for a treble up with Liverpool, because of the monetary factor, I've trebled up from the start, and that's with with Trent, with Salah and Jota. Mm. I think with Jota starting the first two games of the season, um, 7.5 million is a good bracket. Simakas was a fantastic start to the season. And just yeah. going back to your point on a defensive double up is the best feeling. A defensive double up when one of them's only costs 4 million is the cherry on the cake. <laughs> yeah, for um, sure. Absolutely amazing, especially at Liverpool. So I think a triple up is difficult, especially with Robertson back. Yeah. Are you going to invest an extra two and a half million to get Robertson, two to get Virgil van Dijk? It's a tough ask. Uh, and for me, yeah, I would go for a triple up with Jota if you've mm. got a squad. Otherwise, I think I think the double up's absolutely fine. I think Trent and Salah are, are must-owns. I think especially at the moment with, with Trent looking fresh and his attacking returns. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, I do tend to agree with you. I'm looking at my team and I'm thinking, I've already said about Ben Rama. I've brought him in this week. It's very difficult for me to fit in all of these other players because with a midfield yeah. that contains Salah and Bruno and Son to add in somebody else in that middle price seven-ish, seven and a half-ish million pound is proving to be incredibly difficult, which again leads us into the next question I had for you, which is about Manchester City. Now, obviously they treated us to a five-goal thriller. I don't think anybody expected anything else from (laughs) this game other than very high-scoring City performance and for Norwich to not enjoy their second game week back in the Premier League. They didn't enjoy game week one. 
I don't think they enjoy game week two anymore. But again, I, I feel frustrated with Manchester City because the points, as always, were just spread across the team. There isn't yeah. one standout play. You know, you look at at Chelsea and you can pick out a couple of players there that you think, right, you're going to be the key guys that return points. You look at Spurs, you can do the same sort of thing. You can do it at Manchester United. You can do it at Liverpool. Like there's a couple of players that you pick out and you think those are the ones I want to target. I look at that Manchester City squad, not even just the first 11, no, the whole it's a squad. squad. And I think... I couldn't tell you which attacking players one Pep is going to play on a weekly basis and two are worth the budget that you've got to spend to buy them. So Jack Grealish is kind of the obvious starting point. Obviously, he scored his first goal for Manchester City in the game in game week two. Superb finish. Absolutely, from three yards <laughs> out. You know, it's not the goal he would have wanted to score as his debut goal, but equally, they all count and they all bring exactly FPL right. points. Exactly um, right. And at 8 million, he seems less risky than the rest of the Manchester City team. If he gets benched sometimes, it's 8 million. But then equally, I could play seven and a half and have Mason Mount, who's never going to get benched and is playing alongside Lukaku. What are your thoughts about City? Do you own any? I don't. No, I, I consciously made an effort at the beginning of the season to not look at City. You yeah. say you've got Pep Roulette. You've got, the, as you say, the, the problem. It is a headache every yeah. week of who's he going to start. And the versatility in that squad. I mean, they've got one recognised striker and he played wide right this weekend. And that is something that Pep can do as well. It's You haven't got to just worry about who's starting where. It's where they're starting as well. <laughs> <laughs> but that goes back to the Jack Grealish point because yeah. because of his versatility, he can play wide left. He can play down the middle as that false nine, which, which Pep seems to like. And it's not as much of a pain when he gets benched or if he gets benched because it's just the 8 million. As I say, yeah. if you've got... De Bruyne is not playing. If you've got Myers who isn't playing, that's a lot more money sitting on your bench, which is even more painful. Um, so I think Jack Grealish is the obvious pick to go into the, the Man City team. Mm. Even defensively, I thought would be a little bit more solid, but we haven't seen John Stones, even though he signed a new contract. 5.5 million, I thought was a great price for him. I've just avoided City. You never know with Pep who he's going to bring out. I'd love to own a City player, mm. but I'd love to own a City player who plays 90 minutes every week and I'm not paying 6 million for Edison. No, and I think the only other one that you potentially get that from is Diaz at the back. Yeah. You, you get much more or much less, should I say, risk of rotation with Diaz than you do. you do with the others. But you'd also in turn get slightly less attacking threat from him than you would say get with Cancelo, exactly for example. Right. Yeah, exactly so there's, right. there is kind of that dilemma. And I'm just sitting here looking at Manchester City on the fixture ticker. And obviously they've got this game against Arsenal next. Well, we can touch on Arsenal later because I don't know what is going on at Arsenal apart from apart from that they've got real, I mean, they've got real issues with COVID and that's not helping. But terrible, terrible start to the season and I can't see it getting any better for them against Manchester City in game week three. Then they've got Leicester who had a woeful, woeful performance against West Ham on Monday evening, but they were down to 10 men they were, and yeah. they won't always be down to 10 men. And, <laughs> you know, so they will come good. They've got some quality in that team. Uh, then they've got Southampton, then Chelsea, then Liverpool. So I'm looking at those fixtures thinking, how many clean sheets do I see across those weeks? Arsenal game, yeah, I can see them clean sheeting against Arsenal in game week three. I can see them yeah. clean sheeting against Southampton in game week five. But four against Leicester, six against Chelsea and seven against Liverpool. I'm not convinced that there's a lot of clean sheets in that. And if I'm going to pay the level of money I've got paid to own Diaz, mm-hmm. I'm not convinced that it's worth it. Do I think that they could score in all of those games? 
certainly those first three, Arsenal, Leicester, Southampton, yeah, 100% yeah. I could see them scoring. Yeah, I couldn't tell you who's going to score. Can't pick it yeah. out. Um, unless Harry Kane goes, and then, of course, it's a whole different question entirely. Um, but then those two games against Chelsea and Liverpool, two of the best defences we've got in the Premier League right now, I don't see them giving up a lot of goals to City in the same way that Spurs didn't in game week one. So mm-hmm. it's difficult with Manchester City. And there are other big players that we now have to kind of consider in the game. Because, of course, with you on, it would be a miss of me not to talk about Lukaku. Oh, Sam, um, I know. I know. <laughs> Romelu Lukaku's back at the bridge. What did you make of his performance? I'm absolutely over the moon that he's back. I was a big fan of his when he was with us previously. Mm. His attributes similar to to Drogba are absolutely phenomenal. Obviously one of Chelsea's best ever strikers with Didier. (laughs) He's done it in the Premier League with three other clubs, with West Brom. My friends are West Brom fans and they they absolutely loved his time Mm. there. Obviously at Everton, he he did well and and Manchester United, it didn't quite work out. But overseas, he was fantastic last season. And in the Euros, he's just an absolute animal I mean he's phenomenal he's for everything. Belgium every time absolutely yeah he's, you just know as soon as he gets the ball something magic is going to happen I mean yeah his touch his strength his ability to pass his finishing um his speed as I say he's got it all as a, as a centre forward and and it is exciting what he brings to Chelsea it really mm. is exciting as a Chelsea fan that even when you were talking about Lukaku I just couldn't stop smiling because I'm just like <laughs> he is back he is yeah, back yeah. Lukaku is back you can't see David's face, but he has got the grill of a Cheshire cat currently. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So my only issue with Lukaku is how you budget for him. Because obviously, as FPR managers, we've got 100 million. But we've got Salah and we've got Bruno, who mm-hmm. you're going to struggle to go without for the entire season. You might leave yeah. them out every now and then, but you're going to struggle not to invest in them for the long term. So you're mm-hmm. talking then about what, nearly 25 million for those two. That's quarter of your budget gone. If you then want to put Lukaku in as well, and maybe you want to go Sun, or maybe you want Trent, or somebody else that's kind of in that big hitter bracket. What if you want Kane or KDB? It is going to be so difficult. And you can't, you just can't have everybody. You can't have everybody. But I look at that Chelsea team, and I genuinely do believe that they will be right up there in the title race this season. The, the quality that they have across the entire squad is is second to none really now. They they had one weakness last season and that was in their, their attacking spot. And not only have they filled it, they've like smashed it by getting they've Lukaku. Smashed it. So I look at that team and I think I would really like Lukaku but he's going to cost me 11 and a half million. Can I cover it? Now, I hate that phrase because you can never really cover somebody mm-hmm. like Lukaku. But if I go Reese James, who, by the way, I thought was absolutely fantastic against Arsenal. Yep. And if I double him up and go Mason Mount, yep. is there enough in their budget? I'm going to pay a little bit more for the two of them, but not that much more for the two of them. Mm-hmm. But I fill in two spots for the one price tag. So mm-hmm. in my head, I'm kind of thinking, and this is the way I'm looking at FPL this season. I'm looking at the big hitter and thinking, you're the one I want, but I can't own all of you. So mm-hmm. which teams can I leave the big hitter, but take two of their other assets who are going to feed this guy the balls. And Chelsea, to me, look like the squad to do that with. They're safe in terms of, maybe not so much James, but definitely Mount, safe in terms of starts in a quality attacking unit with somebody like Ron. Mount's going to put in ball after ball after ball and Lukaku's just going to be on it, on it, on it, you would think all season. So yes, I might miss out on the goal points, but if I have the assist points... And a clean sheet point. Then you're, then you're there. 
Am I okay? Because I think that's the decision FPL managers are going to have to make this year, isn't it? I think that's definitely a decision to make. I mean, my strategy going into the season, looking at the fixtures um, and looking at the uh, transfer planner, game week seven for me was Mm. when Chelsea's Chelsea's fixtures looked absolutely great. Um, See, we've got some tricky ones. You never know what what Arsenal was going to turn up. Um, obviously Liverpool this weekend and for me I was like I'm just gonna just gonna wait with with Chelsea mm. see what again Tuchel likes to change new manager still likes to tinker around with the back line we've got a lot of creative talent in midfield just let it let it settle uh, and for me I think by game week seven you'll know exactly who who Tuchel fancies to start and and for me my transfer plans were Reese James in and Mount Min because mm. I think both of them I think they're both underpriced I do too I, I, I think, think they're really good value yeah, I think Mount, I think, if correct me if I'm wrong, I think was in the top three for ex-assists last year, ex-big chances. And you just think that for a top three for those sort of stats at 7.5 million is phenomenal. So I've gone Ben Rama at the moment mm. because the fixtures are really nice for West Ham. But when the fixtures yeah. shift for West Ham, it's about the same moment that the Chelsea fixtures take a massive turn. And in my head, Ben Rama to Mount is absolutely on from yeah. game week seven. Like, So I'm looking at the Chelsea fixtures now, obviously Liverpool in game week three, Villa in four, Spurs in five, uh, City in six, Southampton in seven. The London derby is a London derby. Anything happens in those games. It's very difficult to kind of call it. Yeah. And the Chelsea Spurs games over the last couple of seasons have been quite, tight cagey affairs one goal yeah. here one goal there Manchester City goodness only knows what's going to happen in that one and I can't call this Liverpool one either in game week three I think that this is a really interesting game but Villa oh. and Southampton look nice so I'm I'm kind of looking at it thinking I might regret not going for one of the Chelsea boys at this moment because mm-hmm. I think they will get points I yeah. just don't know that they're going to get three or four goals across you know in each of these games I don't see him getting more than one or two against Liverpool. I don't yep. see you getting more than one or two against City and I don't see you getting more than one or two against Spurs. In yep. So I'm looking at those games thinking, oh, maybe I'm just going to wait. And it comes at the time where I'm going to be looking to shift Antonio and Ben Rama when the Europa League kicks in. So mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense to me, but I do think that I'm going to try and go Lukaku list because I've got to make decisions somewhere along the lines. And I feel like budgeting for the cheaper assets at Chelsea is far easier and will lead to more points in total than it will if I do the same with the Spurs assets or the Man City assets or the um, Liverpool or the Man United assets Mm -hmm. because Chelsea's squad is so good and their players feel, I mean, Mason Mount at 7.5 to me, that is one of the bargain points of the season. So Absolutely. And I think with Reese James as well, 5.5, he is Chelsea's version of Trent. And yeah, two million cheaper if he 100%. plays weekly. We saw how far up the pitch he got against Arsenal. He's got so much ability for five point five. So, and this me, is the benefit of waiting, isn't it? The benefit yeah. of waiting until game week seven for the Chelsea fixture changes that you're going to know if Reese James is regularly starting for Chelsea by the time we yeah. get to game week seven. If he's done six game weeks on the bounce, you're going to be like, yeah. I'm safe. So exactly that's another right. benefit of waiting. Yeah, and it just goes back to that thing of I, I play for the patience. So as long yeah. as you're patient, get that sort of bit of bit of knowledge for the start of the season, and then go for it. I know it's so exciting to go. Oh, Reese James <laughs> was smashing it last week. Let's bring him in. But I'm just going to give him a couple more game weeks. See what's going on. Yeah, uh, but those two are definitely on my radar. I don't think I can squeeze Lukaku, and especially when you've got mid-price forwards as well performing at the moment with Ings, DCL, and obviously Antonio. 
Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, let's turn our attention then to game week three. Lots of managers were going into game week two, rolling the transfer, leaving them with two free transfers going into this game week. The price changes in the last couple of game weeks have been bonkers. I mean, the the (laughs) West Ham game last night, I sat and I watched it. And I thought, oh, I really like the look of Antonio. And I'd spent the weekend saying no transfers till at least Thursday. I want to wait for news on the international travel stuff. And I I just want to hold fire. I want to take a breather. I want to see what happens with Spurs, with that Europa Conference qualifier that they've got on Thursday evening, because obviously they're losing. They're going to have to put out a decent side if they want to win it. I'm going to wait. And then... I made the rookie error of all, all the did. all the good FPL strategist in me was like, let's have a look at the price changes. And I was like, oh my goodness. Everyone I wanted to own was going to go up. Everyone I owned that I didn't want anymore was going to drop. And I thought, you know, in my two free transfers that I had, I've potentially got the two I want going up 0.1 each and the two I want to lose going down, that's 0.4. Like, I yeah. can't, at this stage of the season, that's I can't huge. lose 0.4. It's too much. I basically mm-hmm. can't budget. So I've had to move early. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of managers that are kind of looking at their squads thinking, I need to make moves. I need to make some changes. So I'm going to ask you to pick out three key assets that you think we should be looking to invest in ahead of the game week three deadline on Saturday morning. So mm-hmm. if you're going to pick of, of anybody, who do you think is the most important player or the best asset to invest in ahead of game week three? Well, I'm actually doing a feature for this for FF Scout this week on Twitter on this. And I think... We've, we've spoken about him already, Mikel mm. Antonio. I think he is the number one target. I mean, Crystal Palace at home, Palace have started averagely. They've yeah. obviously lo- lost a lot of players um, from their season yeah. um, before. Um, still getting used to new players, new manager. Uh, and West Ham are just all guns blazing. I mean, mm. they look so, so threatening pretty much every time they move forward. And um, yeah, for me, Antonio is the number one target. So if you haven't got him already, I think he's, he's, he's a must own. Yeah, they're so confident right now. And that confidence, you saw it brimming on Monday evening's fixture. Mm. We saw it in game week one. Palace for them in game week three. And what I really like about Antonio as a as a pick here is that, yes, he looks great for game week three, which is basically what I asked you to, to do for me. But yeah. also you look at the fixtures beyond that. Palace, obviously, then Southampton. Looks great for that. Then there's a game against Manchester United, who we haven't seen yet to be solid defensively. So there's still potential in that game that he could get something. Leeds, who we've seen concede a lot of goals in this early part of the season. And then Mm -hmm. Brentford, like those set of fixtures up till game week seven look really promising. And then of course, yeah, we do then obviously have the beginning of the Europa League starting after that. And that will make things more difficult for Antonio because Obviously, he is injury prone and can he cope with playing in two games a week because they don't Mm -hmm. yet have anyone else to play there instead of him. So that remains to be seen. But I certainly think for these next few fixtures, he looks really, really good. Absolutely. Who was your second pick then? For me, my second pick is Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Yeah. Um, the fact that he's, again, he's he's the leading man. He's not playing a 4-4-2. It's the single guy up top. And the amount of crosses that Everton are swinging into the box at the moment is is astronomical. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Damari Gray was a great signing for them. Yeah. Um, gives them that width. We saw Andros Townsend in game week one, putting crosses in. Obviously got Luca Dean, who's another frustrating player right now, but there's a lot of bo- uh, balls going into that box at the moment. And Cavalier's always there and, and fighting to, to put the ball in the back of the net. So he's against Brighton. Mm. Obviously they've got some players missing defensively. Um, they did last week, did well last week against Watford, but I do fancy Cavalier to, to come on strong again in game week three. 
Yeah, Everton's fixtures, Brighton, then Burnley, Aston Villa, Norwich before Manchester United in game week seven. So the mm-hmm. fixtures still look really good for, for Dominic Calvert-Lewin and for that Everton side. And to be honest, you mentioned Luca Dean there. I own him. He has been the most frustrating own for the last couple of game weeks because, exactly. you know, part of the reason I, I paid 5.5 million for Luca Dean was because of the attacking threat that he has and because of what we'd seen with the balls into Calvert Lewin and what I was mm-hmm. expecting from him in terms of set pieces. Brighton set piece conceded ratio is dreadful. So I'm mm-hmm. hopeful for him supplying a bit more in there. And of course, that in turn means that that would benefit Dominic Calvert-Lewin massively so I think with the fixtures the way they are and with the way that Everton are playing they are playing to feed Dominic Calvert-Lewin this year it's all about balls into him and so yeah he makes perfect sense the difficulty is you're probably having to make a choice between him and Antonio who we've already talked about and probably also Danny Ings exactly um, right. Aston Villa the three of them because they they're sitting in that same price bracket it's very difficult to own multiple of them depending upon what you've done with your premium assets elsewhere you Mm -hmm. may at best have two of them and of course Danny Ings has a really nice fixture against Brentford in game week three but then the fixtures take a huge turn with Chelsea Everton Man United Spurs so if you are a Danny Ings owner starting the season game week three looks fine but then from game week four onwards a switch to either Antonio or Dominic Calvert-Lewin definitely looks on. All right, final pick then. Who is your third best asset for game week three? Well, for me, for game week three, from a price point as well, I would be looking at Tanganga at Tottenham. <gasps> oh, it's first boy. I, I, I'm really, really impressed with him. I mean, if you've got the money, I think Reguilon's definitely one to go for. He's definitely more attacking threat and Tottenham do like to play more attacking down that left-hand side. Mm. But I've been so impressed with how Tanganga has started this season, especially game week one. I watched that game and I was just like, this, I didn't expect him to start. Obviously, you've got Ori on the books, you've got Doherty on the books. Doherty was with um, Nuno last year at Wolves or, or two seasons ago with Wolves, I should say. But Tanganga's got that right back spot nailed and he looks so comfortable and controlling the ball and is moving forward. And um, for 4.5, he's just one of those number of defensive players in that bracket. Mm. Um, that's that's a that, for me, ticks boxes and so I'm a, I'm a big fan of Tanganga and what I've seen so far this season home to Watford look, looks a looks a clean sheet potential there too yeah it makes my heart sing a little bit this pick obviously as a Spurs fan Watford next in game week three as you mentioned followed by Crystal Palace in game week four then the yeah. London derby with Chelsea followed by London derby with Arsenal um, and then Aston Villa in game week seven so fixtures are a little bit up and down in terms of defensive prospects I think my concern with Tanganga was that he tends to be fancied in the really difficult games because he's a really rock solid unit at the back. Mm -hmm. He controls his spot well. And against Manchester City, he was absolutely great. Sublime. Against the supposedly weaker opposition, I thought that we might see a little bit of rotation with him. Like I thought we might see Doherty come in in his place because he offers that more attacking threat down the wing than Tanganga does. But what we seem to be finding at Spurs at the moment is that with Tanganga staying, it allows Reguilón to go down the other side. And it's working well from a defensive point of view. Obviously, two clean Mm -hmm. sheets for Spurs. Hugo Lloris has been on phenomenal form in this opening couple of games. So it does bode well for Spurs defensively. And I think at 4.5 million, looking at Tanganga or even um, Eric Dyer next to him in centre-back position, who is the same price, 
could potentially be an option. Now, I know that a lot of people fell into the Eric Dyer trap last season <laughs> and then Spurs were not rock solid defensively, but we have seen a real difference in Spurs in the opening two fixtures to what we saw under Mourinho last time around. Huge they, improvement defensively. Yeah, they're hugely more organised. And I think that that's because of the relationship that Hoiberg and Oli Skip have in the middle. They're controlling, they're helping the defensive unit and it means that they're taking a lot of the pressure off the likes of Sanchez and, and Dyer, who are playing in those kind of centre-back roles, which will only be strengthened eventually when Romero starts to play too. So mm-hmm. I think we've got some real potential in the Spurs defence. And of course, Eric Dyer is always up there for set pieces. So there is slightly more attacking threat with him than there is with Tanganga. But Tanganga does seem to have now done that spot. And if you've got the money... I'd go Reguilon because he does provide you oh, with that attacking threat. If, if you've got the money, go with Reguilon. But if you're going cheap, as you say, 4.5, right back, he does tuck into a back three defensively. Mm. But even at the City game, you, you could see him push forward and he was definitely pressing further up the pitch. So even with the fixture in game week six and game week five, at 4.5 million, if you've got enough squad, you can rotate him out. Whereas if I had Reguilon for 5 million, I'd feel a little bit gutted of benching him. Yeah. Um, so another reason I went with with Tanganga was for the fact of, do you know what? I've, I'm not going to be disappointed to take him out and bench him if needs be when the fixtures get a little bit tougher. And I think that's a really valuable point because of course against Watford, against Crystal Palace, against Aston Villa, and even against Arsenal, if they continue as they are at the moment, you'd happily play Tanganga. But mm-hmm. against Chelsea... You wouldn't want to play a Spurs defender against Chelsea. But with Reguilon, because he's the price he is, you're going to you're gonna struggle to feel it's okay to bench him. Whereas with Tanganga, easy, it's easy to bench him. And of course, the Spurs fixtures, then they do get a little bit mixed. But game week 13 onwards, the Spurs fixtures look beautiful all the way. So it's definitely something that if you invest in somebody like Tanganga now, you can hold them through those slightly more difficult matches, just bench them, have them Mm -hmm. rotate in with one of your other 4.5 million defenders and enjoy the points when they come. You might not get that many upside points, but he will be really good for things like clearances, blocks and interceptions. He'll be good for passing. He'll be good for touches. And all of those things mean bonus points. And if Spurs win matches by one goal to nil, like they did against Wolves, you'll see the defensive players being the ones that pick up those bonus points because you know they're doing all of the right things when you need them to yeah yeah i completely agree as i say with that and we look at differentials as well for, for i think he's owned by two or three percent at the moment yeah so i think if you're looking at a differential i think tanganga i was massively impressed massively impressed and it was such a shock to see him start especially when the other guys you've got on the on the roster so yeah brilliant brilliant start to the season Tanganga <laughs> very much loved by the Spurs fans at the moment of course and it's the game yeah. at, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Sunday against Watford so I suspect he'll get a very good reaction from the crowd then the all important question then the captain's arm bad it seems really hard this week obviously we've got the Liverpool and Chelsea game playing each other. Very difficult to put the captain's armband on anybody in that game. We've got mm-hmm. on paper what looks to be a difficult game between Manchester City and Arsenal. Although the reality of that is it probably won't be as difficult as it could be. Obviously, we've got Manchester United at Wolves, which again, isn't the easiest game in the world. So where do we put the captain's armband? Who do you think is the best pickers captain this week? Oh, it's so difficult. And, and even going back to, to City, although it seems obvious there could be a, a City win, it's not obvious who's going to start. So <laughs> it's even worse who you're going to put your captain armband there. Currently, armband is on Fernandez. Um, okay. I, I can't see him, again, having a poor performance like that week in, week out. I can see Fernandez having a, a decent game. 
but I am taught I've got Antonio as vice at the moment and I am lingering towards Ings as well I mean Brentford although they've started the season really well they have conceded shots on on goal so it's currently on Fernandez, but I can see it changing I can see it drifting to Antonio or Ings by the end of the week and I know Ings is a little bit more of a a left field pick with with Antonio on such good form but yeah I definitely see it flirting more towards a less premium player I've got my captain's armband on Sun at the moment. Nice fixture on paper, what looks to be a nice fixture against Watford. Mm-hmm. Bit of a derby, local rival. Yeah. So, you know, there's always a bit more of an element of that to the game. Looks like Harry Kane's going to be in contention to start the match as well, mm. which opens up a whole nother world of, of kind it of does. interest in that game. Not many people are going to own him, but if you do, who knows? But I, I think, you know, there's there are some real differential captains at options out there. You've mentioned a couple of them. I think Antonio is a fantastic captain's option this mm. week. I like the idea of Danny Ings too against Brentford. Deli Alley, I think, is an out there shout as well against Watford. He has a really, really good record against Watford. Um he had one of his highest scoring FPL game weeks against Watford back in the 2016-17 season, where he got 14 points in a 4-1 win for Spurs. Nine games against Watford in the Premier League. The four that they've played at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, or Old White Hart Lane as it was then, that he's played in. He's returned in every single one of them. Four goals, one assist, two bonus points, two clean sheets, four, eight, eight and seven points in those games. There is a big part of me that thinks Deli Ali could be a really, really nice differential captain. But then, of course, you could just play it safe. Like, I think there's nothing wrong with captaining Bruno Fernandes, captaining Salah in these fixtures. Yeah. Yes, Chelsea are good defensively. Yes, I don't see there being a lot of goals in this game, but there only needs to be one for Salah exactly to get right. points. There only needs to be one for Bruno to get points. So I kind of feel like in this case, you either do the set and forget captaincy thing and you just leave it with one of those premiums and accept that the points return might be less, but there's still a possibility of it. Or you go rogue. And you absolutely and you pick out a differential and you just trust in the process and hope that the captaincy comes in. The good thing I think is that it won't be like last week where we saw two huge captain numbers of number of managers captaining Bruno and Captain Salah. I suspect that this week we'll see it being a much more even spread across the division. I think yeah. so too. And um, great stats, by the way, for Deli Alley. I love <laughs> a good stat. They are fantastic. Oh, yeah, you've got to love a bit of Deli Alley stuff. Of course, it's Spurs. So I've got to have a few Deli Alley stats in my locker. Quick shout out for Jamie Vardy as well. Game against Norwich in yeah. game week three. Not highly owned in the game, but if you do own Jamie Vardy, they are going to want to bounce back from Monday evening's performance against West Ham. Not much better a fixture to do it either than a game against Norwich. So if you own Jamie Vardy, he could also be a nice little out there pick. Maybe even Callum Wilson against Southampton. They've not been that solid defensively. I could see Callum Wilson getting some joy against Southampton too this weekend. Vardy would be uh, a great shout too. Yeah, I think captaincy this week is the difficult decision. There's going to be a lot of potential transfer options to be had. There's going to be a lot of managers making a lot of moves and there will probably be a number of points hits going into game week three as managers kind of look to do a bit of a mini wildcard. So picking out a differential captain might just be the thing that gets you that one important green arrow. Absolutely. That's it then for this week's Scout the Game Week. I will be back next week to have a little look back on game week three. And of course, we'll start to look forward to game week four, considering the international break in that process too. Thanks, guys.